Welcome to episode 9 of Learning with Young Leaders. We release a new episode every Wednesday to learn from young leaders who share their stories and experiences for you to bring your life to the next level. Listen in to hear how many of these guests discover their passion and drive in life that allows them to do well at what they love best. In today's episode, we have Charlotte, a cloud consulting analyst at Accenture. Charlotte talks about how she discovered her passion for the technology scene by attending countless events, how you can leverage on skill sets to build resourcefulness for yourself, and tips that can set yourself up for success. Do support our podcast by rating and reviewing it, and join our LinkedIn group to connect with like-minded individuals. Now, let's listen to Charlotte's interview. Hi Charlotte, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you Marcus for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on to our show as a guest as well. So let us just start off with um, your background as a whole, right? So I understand now you're currently a cloud consulting analyst at Accenture. But before we delve into that, maybe let us understand a bit more about your background and your university life in general. So maybe the kind of goals you entered university with, how was your mindset like at that point in time and then how you got to where you are at this point in time? Sure. So I think if I were to rewind back with my experience, I think one of the main points in my life where I realized my passion for the technology scene actually started when I was in university. So at that point of time, back in 2015, as you know, the technology and the startup ecosystem was more or less still at the emerging state, where there's more or less trending topics that's floating around. But coming from more or less a management excellence university, I realized that there wasn't quite a lot of conversations and awareness ongoing about things that happen in the technology scene. So for myself, I think I was considered quite lucky to actually have thrown myself to different opportunities. So it started off when I decided to volunteer for Tech in Asia's conference back in 2015. At that point of time, the only thing I knew was, oh, I heard Tech in Asia is a very large technology conference. And I saw the price tickets. It was over like $200. And at that point of time as a student, I definitely did not have that amount of money to sign up as you know a participant for the conference so I thought okay what would be the best way to attend such a conference so then I decided okay I'll be a volunteer so that's when I signed up myself for like a three-day volunteer with the Tech in Asia conference and at at that three-day period it was the moment it was the turning point in in my life where I realized that oh the technology scene is something that's so interesting and something that I'm passionate about and and there's so many things that I wanted to learn about. And at the same time, the I guess the second most important takeaway from my experience at that volunteering event was to actually meet some of the most driven, most focused and smart but humble people that were in the technology industry. And to me, it amounted to some really good, uh, good positive influence that that I could sort of relate to and look up to. I had role models to look up to in the technology industry when I was a freshman in university. So at that point in time, definitely when you're year one into university, definitely you wouldn't have the thought in your mind that you knew exactly what you wanted to do mm-hmm. and, and whether in your head you actually had a plan or not on what stories you wanted to tell and what, what kind of stories you wanted to build in your university years. So for me, having that kind of good, 
positive influence in that technology space really kind of helped me accelerate kind of the stories that I wanted to tell. It helped me become more or less more of an, an achieving person that I was able to better shape the kind of goals that I wanted to achieve. So from there on, I, you know, I still remain connected to the technology ecosystem. At one point in time, I was so into attending events and connecting with people because um, I, I'm more or less a people person. That was when one year I actually attended more than 50 events while attending university. And then subsequently in university, I decided to set up my university's first society focused on innovation and technology. Because I felt that as an individual, I wanted more opportunities in the technology space. And for, that, for, for myself to achieve that, I could easily reach out to resources that um, I have within the connections within the technology industry. But I, I was also thinking on a bigger level, can I contribute to, to you know, the school that I'm in? And also to think of how am I else better to leverage on the current resources that I have to build up a solid portfolio and to showcase more or less that I have leadership capabilities. And so that's why I thought of establishing a society so that I could bring in more resources so that I could benefit um, the peers in my society, but at the same time to actually make a point across to the university's management to let them know that technology is something that is emerging, is rising, and that the university should have um, more initiatives to bring in such opportunities because ultimately most of the jobs are getting digitized and more and Mm. more you know people want to go over to the technology industries so there's need for Mm. careers to come in from the university perspective as well so at the end of my university journey you know with all the experiences that I had before I graduated I, I had a clear plan in mind I knew that I wanted to remain connected to the technology ecosystem and that as well, I wanted to gain a start in corporate consulting. So that's when, you know, since I had this plan in mind and I had, you know, my stories and I I had an identity and as well as a portfolio that conceptualized all those achievements that I've built up over the years. So it was definitely much more straightforward when it came to, you know, applying for jobs because I knew what to apply for and I had the skills that more or less matched the job descriptions. So I was able to more or less achieve what I wanted in terms of professional aspect up to this point in time. And hence, you know, I started a career at Accenture. Okay. So when you entered university, like many of us now, we don't really, you didn't really know your direction or exactly what direction you were supposed to go in, but through all the networking events that you went for, you sort of, managed to conceptualize the direction you were you were in so at at the very start were you just going for all kinds of events or was the tech in asia just nice the first one that you went to Hmm. the tech in asia was the first one that i went to it was the largest at that point in time and then from there because you know you meet so many other different people and then you start widening your connections people start inviting you to even more events or perhaps oh, okay. since you're already plugged into the ecosystem, mm. you know, things like, you know, using meetup.com and then even on Facebook, you will sort of see people's interest in what kind of events they wanted to attend. So whenever I, you know, came across at that point of time in 2015, like what was trending was 
trendy startups. I would say young, trendy entrepreneurs that were engaged in more popular things like e-commerce at that point in time. It was very hot. So I remember then the, the subsequent events that I went for uh, were more or less like quite well-received events. They were fireside chat panels that featured some up and rising entrepreneurs like founders from Ninja Van. And mm. then subsequently, I went to events uh, that featured people from Grab and then so on and so forth. It, it, it's kind of like a mix and match. Sometimes there's conferences. Sometimes I managed to get free tickets. And then other times, you know, I would look at large-scale conferences that have tickets priced up to $1,000. But I knew that I wasn't going to pay, uh, fork out that money to to just attend that event for $1,000. So one way that I sort of worked around it was to gain resourcefulness. So at that point in time, after Tech in Asia, I started to write articles based on the events that I've attended. Because personally for myself, I felt that those conversations that um, I picked up during those events were very inspirational. And I wanted to help shape these stories so that I could communicate like takeaways to a wider audience so I started writing on Tech in Asia. My first few articles at first I wrote and I thought, you know, okay, it's, it's just published on the website. I'm not sure if anyone was reading it. But after a few months, I realized that, oh, there's quite a large following on my articles. So on Tech in Asia, I built some foundation. My articles were featured top 10 twice and then a couple of featured articles. And then from there, I was able to gain traction. So whenever I wanted to attend conferences, I would sort of pitch in and I said, I can help you write an article. So uh, it'll be great if you can, you know, let me um, take part in, in the conference, in the event, so that I'll be able to better write the article. So I started writing for uh, hackathons, large hackathons like Startup Weekend Mega. And it was, it was a really inspirational experience because not only was I just writing what I saw, but I used that opportunity to leverage even more. I requested to actually sit in with all the reputable judges. So... That experience, not only was I able to uh, write what I saw, but I also built even more connections because mm. I was able to, you know, talk to the judges and then like, you know, interview them and then these pieces went into my article. That's so I think it's all about, yeah, being resourceful and like thinking of ways to achieve your, your goals. So when you go to this kind of events, right, what is your main purpose or like, what do you hope to achieve out of it? Is it like connections or is it information or is it, the people you meet? Mm. So at the start, uh, I would say when I first started attending these events, it was more of for myself to learn more about what's happening in the technology scene. The main point at that time when I was still in uni was more of trying to become more knowledgeable. Then it started as I grew and now when I, when I attend technology events, it's it's become different. My motives become different. Instead of just becoming more knowledgeable, one thing that I kind of set for myself in terms of expectation whenever I attend such events is for me to at least to speak to up to three different people that I meet at the, at the event. Because now that I'm busier, you know, being uh, a full-time em- employer, uh, employee in, in, the, in the industry, it takes more time and effort for me to find ways to attend such events. So one way is to build up more or less my connection capital to connect with different people. And sometimes I will also have an agenda in terms of why I'm attending a particular event. So in other cases, sometimes I was working on site projects. So I would attend events that I knew I was able to meet people 
that I wanted to meet in order to get insights on the projects that I was working on. So that, that was more of that aspect. And the last thing I would also like to share is in terms of as you grow throughout your career, I think more and more you can actually use such events to build up like your, your profile and your identity. So usually in events settings, sometimes at the end, they'll have like a Q&A portion. You might have questions, sometimes you might not have questions, but I find that Q&A portion of each event, uh, the biggest opportunity to make yourself known. <laughs> so if you ask a question, you get that, you know, at within like three minutes of asking the question to introduce yourself, what you do, and to quickly put out there what you're looking for. So at the end of the event, you don't really have to spend time to go up to each individual person to find out what and try to see if, okay, they meet what I'm looking for. But instead, people have already known about you. So you just wait for people to approach you at the end of the event. So that's one tactic that I've sort of learned um, okay. over the many years of attending events. So you use the Q&A opportunity to introduce yourself and sort of make yourself known to the people so people approach you instead of you approaching them. Am I right? Yeah, correct, okay. correct. That, yeah. That's yeah, nice. Yeah, airtime. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so another thing was the. I'm quite interested in how you write articles and your thought process behind them, right? Because I looked through a bit, uh, quite a few of those articles and they were pretty well written. So what's your thought process on the way you write or have you studied like copywriting courses or things like that? Mm. So I have not taken any professional writing classes. Uh, I think naturally while growing up, I tend to enjoy writing. So like, you know, when you were in primary school and then high school, there were a lot of cases where you had to write compositions. So it was my outlet for expressing myself. And I found the most fulfillment because I could engage in something I'm passionate about. And at the same time, I could see that I have more or less a talent for it because I was getting quite high marks when it, when it comes to writing. So I think my thought process when I try to translate something I've picked up in an event to an article is simply firstly identifying some of the main key points uh, that perhaps a speaker or many speakers have shared during the event. I think to myself firstly whether these takeaways are something that is something interesting to read and something that might add value to someone who's reading it. If these takeaways that I had meets both of such objectives, then I start collating these takeaways and points and I try to shape them into relatable sub-paragraphs within my writing. So oftentimes when it comes to stories about entrepreneurs, I think it, it, it would be good if you have an article that concisely spells out more or less relatable points of the entrepreneur, highlighting more of his emotions and him as a person that shows empathy through your writing and, and not just putting a chunk out there in an article, but trying to find, I guess, subtopics within the article you're trying to produce to sort of build up uh, that consecutive journey into that ultimate, that end deliverable, which is one holistic story. Yeah, so that's how usually that's done. Mm. So do you constantly practice? Like, do you make it a point to write every week or something like that? No, I don't. I write when I'm very inspired by something. So in some cases, after I 
attend an event, if I find that event is very inspirational, I'll be able to write that article out within the next few hours. But other times, it's uh, more of, okay, if I have, you know, spare time over the weekend and I want to speak up about mm. uh, a topic that I've recently learned, because writing is actually one way to sort of practice what you actually captured. To, to actually show people that, okay, not only you did taking information, but you managed to digest it and, and then reproduce it in ways that allows more people to learn about what you've learned. So usually that um, will take perhaps a few weeks. I write parts of it until I feel that, okay, this is an article that's good to go. Okay, that's nice. So post-event, are there certain things that you do to keep in touch with all these people that you connect with? I mean, you've definitely met a lot of people, right? Are there certain methods that you employ to keep in touch or just connect with them? Mm, I do. So some of the ways that I remain connected with these people is after each event, usually I'll have their name cards if they don't have name cards, I'll make sure that I get their contact numbers. And what I do after the event is to actually look them up on LinkedIn. And then I'll send them a connection request. And when you request for connection, uh, there's an option to add like a personalized message. So I always make sure that I add the personalized message and curate each message to, to communicate to the person where we've met and why, what is the purpose of me connecting. So then when the personalized message is being sent, there is a higher chance that the person that you're trying to connect, perhaps he might be someone that's a little bit busier, someone that's more high pro, he will be able to, you know, suddenly be reminded, okay, I'm suddenly reminded, yes, I met you previously and there are actually uh, ways for us to work together and benefit each other. So it's one way. And then subsequently, I mean, if we were to just keep that connection as a LinkedIn connection, there might be, uh, it might be a little bit stagnant. So you need to think, are you connecting to this person because you would like to engage this person to achieve perhaps some of your objectives in, in some of the projects they are doing? If yes, then I think it pays off to be proactive of reaching out earlier after connecting on LinkedIn. So if you have time, sometimes back in uni, what I'll do is I'll send an email. And because I had an objective, because I was setting up my society, I wanted to have a reason to connect with these high profile people by telling them that I wanted to learn more from you. And I know that 4,000 other of my peers also want to learn from you. And in terms of inviting them to be a judge, to be a speaker, allow such high profile people to you know, have the opportunity to continuously profile themselves as someone who is willing to invest in the younger generation because high-profile people kind of want to find ways to mentor and uh, give back, mm. you know, to a society that have nurtured them. So this is one of the ways. And then I would reach out to them and invite them out for like, you know, coffee chat so that I'll be able to not only meet my objective of getting them to agree to be a judge or a speaker for my society, but... Instead, I was able to use that opportunity to learn more from them. And within that space, you know, if there's a good connection, sometimes, you know, such connections that were previously, you know, as strangers will actually become more or less like your informal mentors, which I have had um, the case before. Okay, so 
throughout the years, right, as you attended more events, as you network with people, I'm sure you had to pick up a lot of knowledge to even um, network properly, right, and eventually enter into the tech industry. Mm-hmm. So for someone who is not very well versed with the tech industry, how would you suggest that they pick up such knowledge? Mm. So I think for a starter, if you want to sort of know that you're interested in the technology scene, but you don't know where to start, I think firstly is to acknowledge that you have this interest. That's the first step to getting started. To acknowledge that you're interested in this and then subsequently you will more or less be motivated to put to an action that will allow you to find out more about what you're interested in. So to start off, I think there are many resources on the internet. For me, I think I started off reading quite a lot of like technology-related news on you know the internet. And then if you don't really use resources on the internet, there is always you know podcasts and as well as just normal newspapers that, that you get. I think that's a good way to start building up awareness of what's happening in society. You don't necessarily to, um, have to be knowledgeable, knowledgeable about a particular topic. Like, um, for example, if you think that I need to be firstly knowledgeable about blockchain before I approach someone to talk about blockchain, you don't have to. All you have to do is to just be aware of what, general things are happening in the blockchain space. Like for example, oh, yesterday I read that now blockchain is emerging in the shipping industry and I know of this piece of news that I read that particular company XYZ, you know, use blockchain to revolutionize the way that it handles its security and its supply chain management. So using that piece of knowledge, you can then use it as uh, a bridging point between yourself and someone in uh, the blockchain industry to start conversations. And then from there on, uh, you'll be able to pick up uh, more and more about more or less like technical concepts that you hear about in the public and then find ways to try to you know, bring home these takeaways and have some notes and add to search uh, about these technical concepts that you hear. So in a way, it's more of like continuous improvement to make yourself more and more knowledgeable along the way. And then secondly, I think what would help is to join a technology community, a community that you can relate to and something that you think might allow you to to actually do something. So for myself, initially I started using meetup.com. So you could use you can use the app and what you do is you just pick technology communities you're interested in. And they're all free events. So each week there were at least three three free events that were happening and you could just easily go to these events and learn more about particular topics. Another way is to join like free non-for-profit organizations. So I understand in the technology space, there's a lot of communities that are women-focused. So there are things like Tech Ladies and then Tech for She and many other communities that are for free. You can join as a member. And if you join such communities, sometimes it gives you the chance to step out and and uh, be part of the you know core team to plan and organize events. And that's where you, you also get to pick up like more technical skill sets as well. Okay, so tell us a bit more about your role and how this all ties in, like in your current role, why are you interested in it and everything? Mm. 
So my current role, so what I as a cloud consultant, is to help public and Fortune 500 companies get to the cloud and for me to also help them to help them to achieve their intended cloud. So my work is actually quite technical in terms of having to understand good groups of cloud infrastructure. But because as a function consultant, I, I, I serve as a bridge between the engineers and the clients who are more or less business users who might not necessarily have, you know, good knowledge, the technicalities that's required in the work. So what I have to do is to also use my business side skills to try to communicate and ensure that there's transparent reporting to the business stakeholders to show them that the team that I'm managing is actually achieving quantifiable results towards the end goal. So the fact is that my work is very execution intensive because we do delivery. So in that area, I kind of felt like there is a little bit of apps in terms of connecting with uh, business users. So I thought that the best way for me to try to fulfill the aspect as to what I'm looking for that I'm unable to meet within my job itself was for me to continuously connect with different kinds of people in the industry so that I won't be just limited to what I do and learn in my job, which is cloud chat network. I get to learn more about different uh, kinds of emerging technologies, which makes me more or less a little bit, I would say, not so easily replaceable because my skills are transferable and I continuously you know, ensure that I remain knowledgeable across different technology topics. And, and as well as I think you, there's many ways to kind of reach out to different opportunities to, to find out ways to uh, fill in some of the gaps um, that you think you're unable to achieve in your work. And so I'm also very passionate about building communities. So outside of my projects within Accenture itself, I'm very proactive in terms of, you know, creating communities uh, from topics all the way from mental health and wellness, all the way to helping more people in the workplace to understand how to self-promote in all the aspects I think tied together with my work. It has made me definitely make me feel that I have a purpose in my work and that I'm able to not only drive outcomes in, you know, in my projects, but as well as use what I'm passionate about to continuously help empower others. Okay. So what was the driving force behind your passion to create this sort of communities? Is it something that you face or is it something that you've seen? Mm. So in terms of, yeah, my drive to build communities comes from problems that I, I sort of wit- either experience or witness. So my first run at establishing communities was back in university where I identified a problem. And then subsequently, I think in Accenture, when I started creating communities, it was more on the aspect of more on considering other aspects apart from professional achievements. I wanted to focus more on my physical and mental wealth and well-being because ultimately at the end of the day, you can work really hard for a company, but you can't do that anymore when you're not physically well and you're not mentally well. So, you know, mental health and wellness is something that is very stigmatized still uh, in the corporate workplace. You know, most people wouldn't dare to step out 
to confide in someone in the workplace to tell them that perhaps I might be struggling with mental health and wellness issues. And, and most often times, because they don't know where to get help, uh, that's where, you know, their condition starts worsening and your, I guess, your state of health and well-being starts deteriorating and that you start losing a purpose and sense of motivation to uh, constantly be your best self. So I decided that at the start, because I knew a few senior leaders who were talking about, you know, the need for such initiatives. And because, you know, I had coffee chats with like the managing directors and one day one of them asked me, you know, whether I'll be interested to help them out. And as an analyst, you always say yes to help out <laughs> people on something unless you have, you know, big objections on it and, and definitely to consider your bandwidth whether you had time to do such things as well. So I said yes. And then from there, I went on to um, help the Singapore office set up the first mental health and wellness initiative. So it, it's a great initiative because, you know, you see more and more of your peers um, in your own company start to acknowledge that this is an important topic that needs to be spoken about. And it benefits you uh, indirectly because you get the chance to work in a more holistic workplace where people not only care about your professional achievements, but care about you as a person as well. So what are some of these tips that you propagate? Or is there something that you, you yourself practice on a daily basis to keep yourself in, in a good mental health state? So part of the program, we have this thing called the Mental Health Ally Program. It is actually a corporate uh, classroom uh, training that equips uh, our peers to become uh, official allies. So as official ally, people who might be struggling with such issues, they could actually approach you and you could keep it confidential. And as well as to equip these personnel with the understanding of what kind of resources that are available in the company that they could recommend to such people. And apart from that, we roll out like events, different kinds of events to raise awareness. So at, at one point of time in the quarter that I led was more on self-care. So we celebrated, you know, World Health uh, World Mental Health Day, and as well as rolled out like a series of digital events and writings to help connect with the different personnel throughout Accenture and to um, let them know what self-care is exactly and some tips on how they can get started to engage in self-care. So what are some of these tips? <laughs> yeah, so firstly is to recognize that self-care means much more than just perhaps, you know, sometimes people will say, okay, I've worked, I've worked very hard from Mondays to Fridays. So as part of my self-care, I will take Saturday to go shopping and that's it. But that is not self-care. Self-care is something that is a habitual practice that you identify and you put into place and that you engage in it consecutively. So self-care can mean several things such as ensuring that at the end of each day, you give yourself um, some space. It could be 10 minutes, it could even be 30 minutes up to an hour to engage in perhaps practices that help you reflect on firstly your emotions for the day and to inculcate the ability to remain calm even though you might be overwhelmed with different types of emotions and perhaps you might be very stressed 
with the different kind of things that you have to do throughout the day. So there are some practices that helps you to do that. I, I think you'll be familiar with you know, meditation, mm. even though you might not want to do meditation. But for me, I do yoga. I think it helps me to you know, just set aside 30 to an hour, 30 minutes to an hour, to just commit to myself and to commit to this on the mat and not care about anything that happens within that hour. It's the ability to sort of put your thoughts away and to reflect on them. And you yourself as a, as a person have the ability to take control of your emotions and choose the, the state of mind that you want to be in. Hmm. Okay, that's quite that's quite nice. So you actually set aside time in each day to sort of relax your mind and take things away from whatever busy schedules you have. Lah. So another thing I noticed was um, your activity with She1K is a sort mm-hmm. of like an investment fund, right? It's quite interested in what you actually do there and your role. Mm. So that's actually a small piece of work. So She1K is a women-based, uh, focused angel network that just tries to encourage more C-suite level women to engage in angel investing. So for me, having come from a venture capital background and acknowledging that there is need for more equality in the venture cap space, I wanted to engage in pro bono work out of my own capacity to remain connected to the venture capital system. And as the way for me to quickly learn about some of the trending technologies that are happening each and every day. And I thought that the best way w- was to lend a hand to the Angel Network because I, I knew the founder, Christina, and I thought that it was a great way for me to fulfill those objectives. So it's a small piece of work. So when, when I'm free, what I, I do is I basically help them to set up a little bit of their I guess, evaluation process for the startups that come through the initial funnel. So I'll have a look at the startup decks, do a little bit of research, and then propose to the network or the investment committee on what I feel some points to take note of and whether this startup is something that is of potential to go on to the next round of evaluation. And if necessary, sometimes I take up like the subsequent evaluation, which is to sit down and, you know, have a video chat with the founder to find out more about what they do and then propose my, what, what I feel to the investment committee. But I think now that I've been uh, busier this year, I've sort of not been as engaged as last year. So whenever, I mean, when there's events or like if there's just small bits of work to help out, then I'll just help out when I have the time. Okay, I think I'll just end off with this last last question, which is, uh, what does success look like to you? Wow, that's a difficult question. What does a success What does success look like to me? Success. Okay, so success is something that's pretty positive, right? So success can only be achieved if you have a clear plan in mind and that you have concise actions that you want to take in order to execute the plan. So within the plan itself, you would have objectives that you want to achieve. It might be professional, it might be non-professional. And when you do achieve such objectives, I think that's when you can conclude that perhaps you might have been successful in achieving such objectives. But perhaps I want to take my personal take on maybe sort of answering your question on what success looks like, but more or less condensing a bit of all the takeaways that I feel that 
have helped me got to where I am today. I might not be necessarily successful, but I would say that I was able to achieve the objectives that I set out for myself in terms of work and also in my personal life. So I think three takeaways to perhaps help achieve success in your own life is firstly to have a plan and to have a brand. So when you have a plan, um, you'll be more likely to commit to executing that plan. And when I say to have a brand, it's important to actually recognize what identity you want to build up for because ultimately at the end of the day, you have to figure out what you want to stand for and how you want to be represented in society because there's just so many different people in society. So what makes you different? Because at the end of the day, when you look for a job, you're going to be compared with someone else. And as an individual in a society, how do you want to contribute back to society as an individual? So the importance is to actually build up identity capital, which is the collection of assets over time. And it's kind of more or less the resources that you assemble over time through experiences. And the the more that you actually spend time law and have the nerve to like make commitments uh, along the way, it, it constructs um, stronger self-image, which also translates to more positive outcomes in the future, such as being more confident, having like a clearer sense of self and greater life satisfaction, so on and so forth. So you might be lost initially, but I think what perhaps people can do about it is to reflect on some of the identity capital that you have achieved previously up to this point in time and figure out does these assets align to your passion and interests? If it doesn't, then it's time to start formatting a new plan for you to achieve those objectives. So the second point that I wanted to talk about is to have a good attitude in life, to be a doer and not a thinker. Because it's important to constantly cultivate a learning mindset because it is it, important to recognize that no matter how good you are, at the end of the day, there's going to be someone that's consecutively better than you. And to in order for not to be replaced by someone else who's consecutively better than you, you need to constantly um, be on the lookout to learn new things. Because right now, if you look at distinguished firms when it comes to employment, they want to look out for people who can constantly raise the bar, which means that they'll only hire you if they feel that you can achieve at least 50%, at least what's better than what their current colleagues can do in their current job. So when you have a plan, uh, you're able to action on the plan and then definitely experience comes from execution. So when you have a plan, put it to action and have a good attitude. And then the last point is to, I guess, surround yourself with good influence. To achieve success, I think success can change over time, you know, as you grow along your own personal journey. And every journey is unique. So success might look different from perhaps one week ago to to what success looks like to you right now. But most importantly, I think surround yourself with good influence, with people that you can actually look up to and people that you can constantly look to as role models and provides you with this good inspiration for you to become your best self and not only to become yourself, but ultimately at the end to sort of make you clearer in the uh, ambitions and objectives that you want in your personal life. I think that is very helpful. So take time to reflect whether you have a solid group of connections that's around you that you can tap on that 
uh, is able to inspire you. If you don't, then perhaps if you have a certain group of friends or a social circle that obstructs you from getting to what you want to do, then it's time to detach yourself away from such groups of people and start building uh, more solid uh, social circles that provide you with these kind of good influence. So these are, I guess, the three takeaways um, that I feel that if you are able to engage in these uh, practices, you will tend to be able to achieve your own kind of success in your own life. Okay, thank you. I think it has been really great speaking to you. There are definitely a lot of tips I believe the audience can take away. And yeah, hope to hopefully meet you someday after this whole situation is over. And yeah, sure. Yeah, once again, <laughs> thank you very much. It's amazing what you do with the podcast too. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Learning with Young Leaders. Be sure to rate, review and subscribe to the show and visit sakoniorigino.com slash podcast for more resources based on today's topic. That's sakoniorigino.com slash podcast. Until next time, stay curious, keep learning.